Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. I'm Travis Shaddix. Thank you for coming this morning. Thank you for listening later if you're not if you're watching it on the recording. We had a great conversation yesterday with Dr. Soldat. Guy's a machine. Publications galore, grad students. He's the uh, much more attractive and much more intelligent and knowledgeable version of me. If there was a, if turf grass soil science was a sport, I would be like in peewee league and Dr. Soldat's in the major leagues. So he does a lot of good work. It's kind of, I was only in academia for six years as a, as a professor for six years. Anybody can do that. I mean, it's not that difficult. What's difficult is to do it for 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. <laughs> That's difficult. And uh, he's been there for a while, as have many other professors. I appreciate him coming on yesterday. Hopefully that's the first of many. That paper we did yesterday um, was a nice little paper. He happens to have a lot more papers that are probably a little bit more well-known than, than the paper we did yesterday. And I'm sure we'll get to those as the topic comes around for soil testing or phosphorus or whatever the case might be. He has a lot of, he has a lot of papers on phosphorus, particularly when it comes to environmental fate. He has quite a few, he actually, I think he's a co-author on the review paper as well. So he might've actually written that paper. I think he's the first author on that review phosphorus paper. So. I hope to have him back. I hope you had a good time. I know I did. Um, so we'll see, uh, we'll see how the, the, the channel progresses and seems like we're getting a few more people on here recently. So I certainly appreciate everybody that comes on and is willing to come on and talk about their papers on that note. If anybody is interested in coming on and just participating with me and giving me your insight as, as I go through these papers, if you're a lawn care operator or a business owner or a homeowner or whatever you might be might be interesting to see as i go through a paper if you have questions you could just ask while i'm here so if you're ever interested in that reach out and contact me maybe we can make that happen um this week so i'm going to go over a paper today again we're working so the topics again we're uh, in what is it october 17 2023 we're still going through cool season fall fertility uh i, I honestly I'm doing four papers a week. I, I might be here for the next year just doing cool season fertility. There's so many, there's so many papers, but at some point I'll get to another topic. But for now, I think it's 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 uh, you know of interest and it's pertinent to what the time frame we're in now. We're going to go over another paper today on cool season fertility. The the short and skinny of all these papers are if one paper says this and another paper says something similar and another paper says something similar it starts they start to build on themselves and the and the take-home message of a lot of these papers is that fall fertility with soluble fertilizers is very likely going to result in a color increase and a growth increase if applied early in the fall it's probably not going to result in a growth increase if applied late in the fall but you might have a color increase if applied late in the fall <clears throat> those late fall treatments that don't respond uh, in terms of growth generally will respond in terms of growth and color more in the spring than the early fall treatments. 
but the whole time it's sitting out there, you have uh, a lot of risk of offsite movement and potential, as Dr. Soldat mentioned yesterday, the customer potentially leaving you. You pay for that fertilizer and you put it out. And next thing you know, the, the customer leaves and goes somewhere else, hires somebody else, and you paid for that nitrogen that the next guy's can, you know, getting for free. So there's all sorts of issues involved with applying nutrients that are not taken up by the plant and, you know, and sit there for months without being taken up. And maybe they'll eventually be taken up when you could just apply it in the spring. Essentially, all these papers are saying the same thing. Early fall soluble nitrogen treatments as as it gets as it gets colder and colder those rates like right now it's October seventeenth you should be applying you shouldn't be applying a pound of nitrogen soluble nitrogen in Lexington maybe a half a pound or a quarter pound is going to get you what you need you don't need to apply any more than that in the spring you can go out and apply your half a pound or maybe as much as a pound in the spring if you wanted to on these fescues in Lexington might be okay um. That's the take home message of all these. And this paper today is generally going to say the same thing. The paper today is a little bit disjointed. I'm going to try my best to get through here without confusing everybody. Only because there's two separate studies in this project, in this paper today. And it's a little bit, um, I don't know. It's just a little bit challenging to kind of keep track of what happened when and what study. So I'll do my best to get through it and try to, you know, get the bullet points out for you guys. So I see people in the chat, Gray and turf nerd lawn care i wish i knew your real names i would refer to your real name but that's okay if you don't want to say what your real name is western mass turf lush going to the gie yeah i can't go to the gie this uh this year like i said i, I haven't been in years but um there was some uh request maybe to come down and join some of the stuff going on at the gie but um as most uh extremely lucky men are i happen to be married to someone who's unbelievably more successful and knowledgeable intelligent than i am so i have to kind of work around her schedule <laughs> which i'm happy to do um and she's not available right now so it means i'm at home taking care of the kids and i'm on dad duty 24 7 i don't uh until till the end of the week so so i can't leave so i'm not going to the gie but maybe there'll be other times we can cross paths okay um let's get started the, t the title of today's paper is The Effects of Various Nitrogen Sources, Timing, and Rates on Quality and Growth of Cool Season Turf Grasses. So it kind of the title encompasses a lot of what we've been going over the last week all in one paper. Uh, so we're going to be looking at a couple, one study that had different nitrogen sources, one study that had the same nitrogen sources, and they did it at a whole slew of different timings and rates and all. It's, it's rather complex. Compl I don't want to say complex. It sounds sort of <clears throat> negative. It's just it's just a lot going on here. So let's see if we can get through it. This study was conducted in 1973 by Bower. I guess I'm saying that name right, and Scogli. <clears throat> I think this was published in Agronomy Journal. Yeah, Agronomy Journal in 1973. So this uh, you'll see some white dot sections as you have in other other. Uh, publications that I, that I go over if you're unfamiliar with what I've been doing these white dot sections are simply to kind of keep me on track and to keep me from meandering through all the stuff and kind of just hit the highlight points if you want the entire article I encourage you to go to the uh, agronomy.org or crops.org or soils.org any of those three will get you to the same spot more or less and um, you can search agronomy journal and pull up this article if you're a member you can um, download 
all you want. If you're not a member, then you can read the abstract and you might want to consider getting a membership. Now I looked at the membership the other day. I have a membership to all three, but the only, but the main reason I, I am a member is to get the access, get access to the articles. And I think you can actually just be a member of one, one society instead of all three for like around a hundred bucks, I think. And then you can have access to the the journals for around, I, I want to say it was around another hundred dollars for the electronic access. I can't remember now, but I remember thinking that I'm probably paying a lot more than I need to for the, the, the use that I want to get out of the membership, which is just the journal articles. So, um, and my, and my membership's coming due. I think it's either this month or next month. So I'll probably adjust my membership because I, I don't vote. I don't sit on any committees anymore. I was, I was never on the boards or anything like that. So I just want access to the articles. And if you're similar to me, then there might be a way you can do that for around $200 a year or something like that. I don't want to misquote anything or miss say anything, but it seems like that was the number I came up with yesterday when I was looking up the different membership things. Okay. Um, so the, Okay, so we've, what we've been doing, we're going through 1930s, 1940s, 1960s, now we're in the 1970s, and we're still looking at the effect of um, applying nitrogen in the fall on what happens to the turf, okay? This particular study, the objective was, uh, the studies reported here were conducted to determine if late, if fall and late fall nitrogen applications to mixed cool season turf grasses could be used successfully from the standpoint of producing more even top growth and turf color throughout the growing season. So that's... That is really what the majority of papers up to the 70s, really even later, looked at was the effect of turf, turf growth and color. They're not necessarily considering the cost of the of the applications in terms of actual real cost to you, the, the, the purchaser, the consumer, or the environmental costs by applying these, nutri these nutrients in the late fall. They're simply looking at the turf grass response. What happens? A 10-6-4 grade fertilizer was used on several grasses. That'll be in one study. While ammonium nitrate and, and urea formaldehyde were compared for their effectiveness, effectiveness on Kentucky bluegrass in a different study, okay, to they prolonged green foliage in the fall and early green spring. So we're gonna we're gonna see a study that looks at a complete fertilizer, ten six four applied to several turf grasses, and they applied them at different times, and then we're gonna look at a separate study that has what happens between urea formaldehyde and ammonium nitrate in terms of their effectiveness and turf response, okay. The materials and methods are, again, a little bit disconnected, but I'm going to fill in the gaps as best I can where uh, where, where necessary. It, I don't see anywhere in the materials and methods where it says it was conducted, but I know it was conducted in Rhode Island. The conclusions state that it was in Rhode, under Rhode Island conditions. So we're in the, um, the uh, Northeast United States. Differential fertilizer treatments were, were begun in September of 1965 and continued for one full year before data were recorded. So they're applying nitrogen and they're keeping the, the, the turf grass, you know, well-established or well-groomed, which is actually what I'm doing now. I have a study that we're, I'm doing with, with a co in collaboration with a different, with a professor somewhere else. And right now I'm just applying a little bit of nitrogen to kind of get the grass nice and established and uniform. And that's what they did. Replicated plots, uh, don't worry about the size, were treated with, okay, a 10, 2.63.3, which is um, in, in the scientific world, we can't use um, the oxide equivalent, which is what we use standard on our labels and fertilizers in, in, uh, in the United States. We'll say a 10, 10, 10, but in scientific literature that the second and the third 10 are oxide equivalents. They're not the actual phosphorus and potassium, but in scientific literature, we have to do that. 
Um, so this is probably, I don't know what this number, well, it might be the 1064. Yeah. So it'd be the 1064 up here. So, um, it's a 1064, even though literature says these, these digits, 30% organic nitrogen. Uh, okay, they're right there. He says 1064 oxide basis. Okay, according to the scheduled listing in table two. So we're going to skip to the table two and explain what they did. If I can get this on the screen without screwing things up. Um, sometimes it's hard for me to get these on the screen. Let's see. So table two. So you apply the 1064 at different dates and at different rates. So let's talk. And I'm going to have to refer back to this because he refers to the treatments as T1s and T2s. So we're going to end up going back to this quite a bit. Treatment one was applied in May and this 0.5 kilograms per R. Remember at one kilogram per two R is one pound per thousand square feet. So that, that sounded confusing. So a half a pound or I'm sorry, a half a kilogram per R is a quarter pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet. So one pound, I'm sorry, one, I'm getting confused. One kilogram per R is a half a pound 0.5 kilograms per R is a quarter pound. It's extremely confusing. <laughs> so I'm going to try to stay with it. So that quarter pound right here, the 0.5 kilograms. So that's a quarter pound per thousand was applied in May for treatment to one was applied in August for treatment two was applied in November for treatment three. So that's pretty straightforward. Okay. Then the treatment five was applied in May and August at a quarter pound each. <laughs> okay, it's, I know, like I said at the beginning, it, it's a little disjointed. It's a little confusing sometimes. There's a lot in here. Treatment six was applied in November at a half a pound of N. Treatment seven was applied in May, August, and November at a quarter pound per. So three quarters of a pound of N total. All right. <laughs> so, and then the treatment eight was a three quarters of a pound of N applied half or a quarter in September and a half in November. So we got some early, we got some spring applications of nitrogen. We have, uh, fall applications in November. And then we have a T8 is September and November, which is all fall. And we have a, I mean, it's just, there's, there's a lot going on here. I'm not sure of the rationale behind the, the, um, uh, Oh, here, yeah, here's the one pound per thousand square feet equals half. Yeah, so, oh, he has it. Rates were applied at one pound, but these are equivalent to one pound equals a half a kilogram per hour. Well, hang on a second. Maybe I'm confused because I just looked up. Um, Okay, so I'm sorry. No, I just confused everybody, including myself. One pound per thousand square feet equals one kilogram per 200. So if this was one kilogram per 100. Okay. Yeah, so I was wrong. That'd be too. Okay, so I apologize for that. I just confused everybody, including myself. So I, I will let me back up. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, the 0.5 kilograms is one pound per R or one pound per thousand square feet. I'm really sorry. I screwed all that up. So he's applying one pound in May, one pound in August, one pound in November. Then he's applying two pounds in May or two pounds in November and so forth. I'm, I'm sorry. Good grief. 
this thing is screwing me up. I don't know why. I don't know what. I don't know if they did this to try to make it easier to understand or what. But this R unit was very common in back then, the '60s and '70s, and I completely throws me off every time. I, I'm used to kilograms per hectare, and this kilograms per R is confusing to me. So that's one pound, one pound, one pound, two pounds. So he's applying everything in one pound or two pound increments, basically. Ugh. <laughs> so, so, okay. So hopefully that's clear. Half a pound, half a kilogram per R is one pound per thousand square feet. Not a half a pound per thousand square feet. I'm sorry. May, August, November, is, that's, that's going to be a total of three pounds. September, November, that's going to be a total of three pounds. Okay. I am, I'm human and this, this unit is really confusing to me. Okay. Now, now that we're all completely clear as mud, I will continue. So that's the schedule, the fertilizer, the, the norm, the complete fertilizer application. He's applying one pound in May, one pound in August or one pound in November. He's applying two pounds in November. He's applying at one pound in May and all, he's all, all these different fertilizer regimes he's got going on. Okay. I think what I'm going to do is do experiment one, and then I'm going to come back to experiment two because it's, <laughs> it's confusing. Okay. So let me, that's, that's what they did in experiment one. Let me go over the results of experiment one, and then I'm going to come back to experiment two, which is the nitrogen source, uh, component of it. <coughs> okay. Experiment one. Oh, good grief. This thing is difficult to move today. So we're applying the same fertilizer. We're just applying at different rates in different months. The meat, the average turf quality rating increased with in intensity. So the more in you applied, the more response you got. But the time of application had no significant effect. Okay, remember we're applying this to... Um, we're applying this to, where's the grass? We're applying it to a mixed stand. Okay, so yeah, so this was the mixed stand. So they're applying this this um, nitrogen re application regime to the to these turf grasses. Bluegrass, he has a mix of bluegrass and fescue. He has a mix of uh, bluegrass, fescue, and bent. Um, so we have bluegrasses and fescues and bluegrasses and fescues and bents all mixed together. So that's that's what he's talking about when, he see, when you're talking about turf response. And he says, the but the timing of application had no significant effect on turf quality. So all those different uh, timings and early, you know, the spring and the summer and the fall and this and that had no effect on the turf grass quality. The only thing it had an effect on was the amount of nitrogen that was applied. I'm not going to talk about the coefficient variation. That's a little bit um, too much for what we need. <clears throat> Let's get through the next. So, so turf quality scores for the three seasons, clipping weights for two seasons influenced by somehow. I think I, um, yeah, well, that may just be all we end up doing on, on experiment one. Let's see if I get onto experiment. Oh, there's experiment two. So let me go ahead and go through experiment one. Um, my wife's calling me. 
Okay, so with turf quality scoring system used at Rhode Island, acceptable turf quality was rated at 6.5 or higher. So anything 6.5 or higher was acceptable, or uh, yeah, it was acceptable. Seasonal means for 67 and 68 of the two lower end rates remained below this level, but reached it in 69 and uh, with, with the one kilogram per R, which is two pound rate. Overall, turf growing conditions were improved in 69, but the data also indicate that turf under conditions similar to those in this experiment can be held near acceptable quality with two pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet per year. Quality and top growth are most uniform with late fall November applications. So basically what he's saying is, is that the low rate was unacceptable for a short period, but then became acceptable. And the two pound, the, the two pound application rate in the fall was, was uh, what they're essentially recommending. Um, okay, so the oh, here's some rationale. Fertilizer treatments with the one pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet applied in May, August, November, or the one pound applied in September and two pounds applied in November represent normally suggested rates for lawn and golf fairway turf. So that's why they chose that right here. Um, three evenly spaced treatments, the one pound in April, August, and November were compared with one pound in September plus two pounds in November. In all three years, the meet, the average turf quality values did not differ, but in two test seasons, the average clipping weight values for treatments applied in September and November were significantly less than when treatments were applied in May, August, November. So what, again, what he's saying is real simple is what we, it's just consistent with what we found in the past is that he's applying, they're applying one pound sort of throughout the year, one application, one application, one application, or a total of three or a half or one pound in September and two pounds in November. And they're saying the turf quality was the same regardless of how you apply the nitrogen, but the clipping weights, the growth rate of what the turf was, was greater when the nitrogen was spread out over the year rather than applied late in the fall which is consistent with what we even talked about yesterday, where you just don't get the growth rate from those late fall applications of nitrogen, but you will get the quality. Okay. That's essentially the take home message from the, the, uh, experiment one that they did. Okay. Pretty straightforward. They have a, um, uh, they have a photo here on the, this photo here on the right. If you can, if you're watching, the effect of late fall nitrogen at two pounds per thousand square feet on early green up of Kentucky bluegrass and redfish can show you can see the green up here from that two pound application in November. And you can definitely see why people would want to <laughs> tend to tend to apply those late fall. Because even in a black and white picture, you can see the difference between that, that plot and the next plot. I'd like to know how he got it that tight. I, mean, I don't know if he did it with a drop spreader or not, but, um, but keep in mind is that we're going to go over work that shows that that's a similar response to what you see here from a late fall two pound application can be achieved with a, with an early spring nitrogen application as well. You don't need to have it sit there all winter and then have it come up in the fall. Okay. You can still, you can just, just not apply the thing in the fall or apply a very, very low rate of nitrogen in the fall and then apply a reasonable rate of nitrogen in the spring and achieve that same response and greatly reduce your environmental risk and reduce the chance of financial losses if the customer chooses to leave you after you've applied after, you, after you've applied that late fall nitrogen application. I kind of completely basically screwed that whole thing up with all those rates. I feel bad that I messed those rates up on the beginning of this, but I'm live. What are you going to do? Okay, let's go to experiment two. 
Okay, so the, the basically the take-home message of experiment one. Let's see if they did a conclusion of experiment one. No, they didn't. The conclusion of oh wait, maybe this is in the last paragraph. Yeah. So basically, the conclusion is what we've seen before: is that the um, the the application dates didn't really matter in terms of quality. What did matter? What it did affect was the the clipping weights. The late fall applications didn't have the same clipping weights as the nitrogen applied throughout the year, but they all resulted in an acceptable tar quality. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Okay, let's go to experiment two because this is where I'm going to start moving into the nitrogen source. This is one of the first papers where I'm going to start moving into different nitrogen sources. In tomorrow's paper, we're going to talk more about different, much, much more about the different nitrogen sources, the turf grasses response to different nitrogen sources in the fall. So experiment two, uh, in spring 1966, a randomized complete block design was initiated uh, in this silt loam of mature Kentucky bluegrass. Urea formaldehyde and ammonium nitrate were compared at equal nitrogen rates per year according to the application schedule in table three. Okay, so let's, <laughs> let's see if I can get through this without screwing this up. All right, let's get to it. All right, so... The nitrogen application schedule, if I can get it on the screen. Okay, there it is. Okay, so treatment one, two, three, and four were all from ammonium nitrate. Okay, treatment five, six, uh, treatment five, six, seven, and eight were all from urea formaldehyde, and then treatment nine was the was the control. And we're applying these all at the same rates and all at the same dates. So he did an April and an August at two pounds in April, one pound in August of both of these. He did flipped it around and said one pound in September, two pounds in November. And then he did that, you know, one and one and one in April, August and November. And then he did a September, November, he flipped the nitrogen rates from a half from one pound in September to two pounds in September and from two pounds in November to one pound in November. It's just, <laughs> there's, there's a lot. I warned you guys at the beginning, this is a kind of a disjointed paper. It's a lot going on. It's not easy to kind of keep track of sometimes. Okay, so what we're going to find is what happens from a soluble nitrogen source compared to a slow-release nitrogen source applied at probably, re, you know, might be a little high on the, well, no, it's it's... It might, it's fine. It might be a little high on the soluble end. I don't know if we'd really recommend plant two pounds of nitrogen now as soluble nitrogen in the fall, in the late fall here in November. Uh, it might be a tad bit high, uh, but they're all equal in terms of the nitrogen that was applied. We're going to see what happens in terms of the turf response to these two nitrogen sources. Harper Explorers, howdy. How are you? Good to see you in the chat <laughs> you're picking up what i'm putting down western master okay i appreciate it um okay let's go to the results of experiment two which are right here data for urea formaldehyde treatment the t5 and t8 were omitted so this is basically the 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 whole thing right here okay so all as as confusing as I made the first part of the of the paper, this is much clearer. 
remember we have ammonium nitrate and we have urea formaldehyde applied at different rates, different timings, but they're all the same, you know, for the different sources. Okay. And right out the gate, the second or third sentence in the experiment two results are this data for urea formaldehyde treatments five through treatment eight were omitted because the three pound of nitrogen treatment level was insufficient for satisfactory turf production. <laughs> I have a, I have a colleague or a past colleague that runs a tremendously large lawn care company. Granted, it's in a different state. It's not in Rhode Island. That is dead set on your using UF as their slow release source. There, there's nothing I can do to change his mind, regardless of the cost that I show him, regardless of the cost of turf response that I show him from, let's say, sulfur coat urea being the least expensive slow release. Uh, it doesn't matter. He is dead set on using UF and <laughs> for whatever length of time, I, I can't get him to change from using UF. And time after time after time, we see UF fail to result in sufficient turf grass, or or I shouldn't say fail to result in this. You, you can get sufficient turf grass from UF, but under similar conditions, you, you don't see uh, university, you don't see your formaldehyde generally compared to the turf results as you get from other slow releasing sources or slow uh, soluble nitrogen sources. It's just um, either too cold or, you know, whatever the case is, it just doesn't tend to result in the a similar turf quality. Now, can you make it result? You know, sure, there's a way you can do it. I mean, sure, you can add a little soluble into it to get a little kicker at the beginning, or you can apply a little higher rates to get the, the cold water soluble nitrogen from UF up there a little higher. I mean, there's things you can do. But at the end of the day, the cost to use that product is much more expensive than some of the other products, which I'll eventually go into. And, you know, we generally find that the turf grass tends to look better using other end sources in, in many cases, not in every case. And in this case right here, they just omitted it completely. <laughs> they said it didn't do anything. It was un, it was completely unacceptable. The turf grass was unacceptable to the point where they just left it all out. They omitted the whole data set, which I I, I just actually disagree with omitting it. You should still leave it in to show people that it didn't do anything. It didn't result in whatever you were looking for. The turf quality was insufficient. The turf looked horrible. Well, just because it did that, you should still include the data. You know, you shouldn't omit it. <laughs> Back then, there was a lot more publication bias than there is now. Where you, you know, publication bias is a, is a is getting better, but unfortunately, you, it's it's kind of looked down upon to publish data results that didn't happen. You didn't see anything happen, so you can't publish it. Well, that's still a result. You know, you should you should still be allowed to publish that. I mean, we need we need to know if it didn't do anything. And imagine if they're doing human trials on a drug, and uh. The drug is, let's say it's a competitor to, you know, some, I don't know, Tylenol or something. And the, the drug didn't do it. It didn't do anything. Well, and they, oh, it didn't do anything. So we left it out. Well, still show it. <laughs> I mean, you, people still want to know what the, what the numbers were. You're going to put it in your body if it didn't do anything. Anyway, the point is, is that they left it out. 
I just think it's funny that people write that in these scientific articles. You didn't do anything, so we just omitted it. <laughs> Can you imagine setting all that study up? All those how many how many treatments they have? So they, they had four treatments, and they had one, one, two, three, four. I don't know, five, four or five different months that they had to keep track of to go out and put that out. I don't know how many reps they had. Probably well, at least three, probably maybe, maybe as many as four reps. Did they do this over multiple years? I don't know if they did. I, I have to go back and look. But I mean, it's a lot of work. They got to weigh all those treatments out. They got to do all those ratings. They got to, you know, do all the clipping management and all that stuff. And then, oh, nothing happened. It's, it's disappointing, you know, or, you know, can be, can be discouraging when you have that. And then, <laughs> nothing happens i just think it's funny it's a shame when we, you know i'm not i'm not knocking any in source turf grass can be achieved turf quality can be achieved with any in source but you got to know what you're dealing with you know to apply uf in rhode island when it's freezing outside in november i'm assuming it's freezing in november probably not a good idea okay Let's continue. Average annual turf quality ratings remained below the acceptable 6.5 level and declined from 5.7 to 4.8 and to 4.5. Growth expressed as clipping yield also declined with time. So this is all you have to. This is all they have to say about urea formaldehyde. So it started at a 5.7, or it started at a 5.7, and it ended at a 4.5. Three, uh, two years later, I guess. Yeah. So I guess they did it three years later. So it just kept going down. So these, and I'm not saying this, you can, I can show you data where the opposite occurs with urea formaldehyde. But oftentimes I've heard the, the argument, uh, well, urea formaldehyde is going to stay in the soil. What, there's cold water soluble, there's hot water soluble, and there's hot water insoluble is generally how those nit the nitrogen in that product will be shown sometimes. And the cold water soluble is immediately available or soluble. And the hot water soluble would be, you know, the idea is that it would be released throughout some reasonable time frame, growing season. And then there's hot water insoluble that at some point would be broken down, but it hasn't broken down yet. It's going to be very, very long time. And they had, uh, the idea is that, well, you can apply it for multiple years and, you know, over time, the part that didn't get broken down the first year will eventually get broken down, which is maybe true. It may, it may go off site. It may migrate off site. I have no idea what happens to it, but. Well, over four or five years, you'll build up your reserve in the soil, and then you wouldn't have to fertilize. I don't know anybody that's actually done that in practice, but I do know there's a golf course that actually tested that, and they actually did see some residual nitrogen, residual turf response um, from prior years of UF application, and then they didn't apply anything the next year, and they did still have some turf quality response after that. But <clears throat> the argument's pretty weak. You won't find it in the literature very much. I don't know if you'll ever find it in the literature, in, in the scientific literature, that, you know, there's a buildup of reserve here. You see three years, three years of application and it's going down and down and down. Applying three pounds of nitrogen from urea formaldehyde each year and each year it went down. So the, so it apparently takes more than three years for it to break down for enough to break down so that it have some turf response to it. If it's been building up in the soil. So I just think that's, cute you know when they write stuff so succinctly i like that <clears throat> so let's continue consistently desirable results were recorded from t2 in all three seasons okay let's go up and look at t2 again t2 was the september plus november one pound and two pounds one pound in september two pounds in november from ammonium nitrate 
So consistently desirable results were recorded from T2. Real simple. So <clears throat> ammonium nitrate applied in September and November gave consistent results. Okay. The a comparison, I didn't highlight this, but I'm going to read about it. A comparison of, of that treatment, the November and uh, the September and November application of T2 with T4. So we got one pound plus two pounds, one pound in September, two pounds in November versus two pounds in September and one pound in November. Okay, so we're just switching them. The comparison of those two treatments indicate that results are not as uniform and did not or did not provide the early spring turf quality obtained from T2 while fall clipping weights were excessive. So what this is saying right here is that applying two pounds in September resulted in excessive growth and did not result in the spring green up as the one pound in September and two pounds in November. Okay. So that, in in a nutshell, is kind of what we've been talking about in many of these publications. Let's get through the rest of the uh, the, the highlighted section. Now, now before we do that, and remember yesterday, Doctor Soldat's talking about what he did in um, in his study, where these heavy soluble applications late in uh, the fall are probably not what you want to be doing. You want to be doing, you know, reducing the rate as it gets colder and colder and colder. Remember, this is Rhode Island. I don't know the conditions under Rhode Island. Maybe it's still a little bit warmer in that area. I don't, I don't know Rhode Island's temperature. I don't even know if they put it in this in this presentation, at least if they even put it in here. No, they didn't put the temperatures and stuff in here. So um, so you don't take these date, these results and say, well, Dr. Soda said, don't apply a heavy soluble nitrogen in late fall. And this one's saying it's probably better to apply the nitrogen a little heavier in the late, late fall than in the early fall, because these are two different scenarios, two different conditions. Okay. Natural and synthetic organic nitrogen sources are recommended alone and in various combinations with soluble nitrogen to reduce excessive growth and obtain long-lasting results. Results reported here indicate that similar responses can be obtained using soluble in alone or in combination with 30% organic if they're made in the fall. So whenever you see, uh, and we've, we've, I've been hitting at this for the last several uh, uh, papers, whenever you see recommendations you know, we really should be applying probably soluble in in the fall rather than slow release in the fall. It's not because one paper found it. Okay. It's because numerous papers have shown that same result under numerous different environmental conditions. Okay. So these, you know, heavy fall applications of polymer coated ureas and, um, you know, whatever the case is, reacted ureas or organic nitrogen sources. It's not that those won't result in something in some cases. In some cases, they probably will result in some turf response in, under some conditions. But the soluble in sources have consistently shown a response in a num number of different conditions. Okay. You know, the, the goal is to have the, you know, a, a product that is acceptable, the turf grass, and to get that product, we need the nitrogen in the plant. Okay. 
having having it sitting there in the soil not being taken up by the plant is not our goal we want it to be taken up and used and ultimately result in a, in a you know content customer or content golfers or content football players or whatever the case is now the, again we're talking about fall applications of nitrogen that's not, not any other time right now or spring and summer applications on warm season grasses are different okay september nitrogen provi- provides for longer fall color and late november treatment triggers early spring development without increased mowing uh requirements so if you want your customer to have a little greener grass if, if you're doing both if you're applying nitrogen and you're mowing and, and, you, and you don't want to be harvesting, you know, collecting clippings and piling up clippings and leaving clippings all over the place. Don't apply a lot of heavy nitrogen in the late fall. That's what this is saying. Apply a little bit of nitrogen, not a lot, and you should be fine. <clears throat> Under Rhode Island conditions. So this is the only way I knew it was from Rhode Island because in the conclusions it says that. I didn't see that anywhere else in the paper, which is peculiar. Red fescue and Kentucky bluegrass did not suffer winter injury during three years of testing. So now this is uh, refutes or it contrasts with the Carroll papers um, that showed, you know, fall applications or nitrogen, soluble nitrogen applications result in reduction in winter hardiness, increases in, in winter death, winter kill, because they were, you know, they were doing it sort of in freeze chambers. Whereas when we go out here and we look in the field, Powell saw the same thing. He didn't see a uh, risk to, a winter injury or death. Here's another paper from again Lettebauer, I think is how you say the name, where they did not suffer winter injury during the three years of testing, and they're applying three pounds of nitrogen at various times. So we just don't. They didn't see it, and they're dealing with red fescues and Kentucky bluegrasses, whereas Powell was dealing with bent grasses and fescues. So we have three or four different grasses in a couple different locations using a fairly high nitrogen rate, soluble and slow. And we just don't see the winter death and winter kill as what was priorly anticipated or predicted to occur using freeze chamber studies. If hydration was increased as reported by Beard, and this is uh, this reference right on here by Dr. Beard, it says winter injury golf course. This is a reference here. I haven't read that, but apparently he reported some hydration issues. If hydration was increased as reported by Beard, it was not to the point of causing cell destruction during cold weather. Top growth that occurs as a result of late November nitrogen applications is mainly in form of new tillers and remains compact until spring. So they're saying that the nitrogen that they applied in late late November did not result in excess clippings. It resulted in um, excess tillering, which is what you see here in this photograph. I didn't really go into that, but let me zoom in on this photograph if I can get it on the screen. Probably can't. So this this photograph here is the effect of two pounds of nitrogen in late fall on Marion, Kentucky bluegrass tillering in March on the right compared to an equal spring and summer fertilization. So th- I'm assuming what they're talking about is this right here is this spring and summer application of nitrogen. And this is the, the late fall application, two pounds of uh, nitrogen in November. And you can see that the excess, if you want to call it photosynthesis or, re- you know, the g- growth um, didn't occur in terms of clipping weights and it, it occurred in, in, in terms of excess tillering. You can see a couple little, uh, stolons or whatever these are, I guess they're calling these tillers where you can see a whole bunch coming up from the, from the crown on this one. Okay. So that's what they're 
asserting is that the nitrogen from the late fall application, the the November application, two pounds in November, that did not result in clipping weight excess, excess clipping weights resulted in excess new or increased tillering, new tillering, but it remained a compact. Whether that's true or not, it'd be up from someone else. I haven't, I haven't seen much data on that, but that's what they're saying. Cell division appears to be triggered by nitrogen while normal cell elongation is inhibited, possibly by short photoperiods. And I don't know. I don't, yeah, they just put a citation here. So this how Kentucky bluegrass grows and this, this, uh, this citation right here is what they're talking about. In a conclu- I don't. I'm not a fan of doing this in conclusions because they're they're postulating what what may occur in a conclusion of a scientific paper. It is what it is, but they're they're postulating that the cell division appears to be triggered by nitrogen, while cell elongation is inhibited, possibly. So again, they're trying to explain. This should be in the discussion, not the not the conclusion. But they're trying to explain why you would have excess tillering, uh, but not excess growth. So. They're saying that division might occur, but elongation doesn't occur. Whether or not that's true, I would be skeptical on that until I knew it had more had more information. When soluble nitrogen was applied to frozen soil later during winter, stimulation of new tillers did not occur, and there was no visual evidence that nitrogen was metabolized. So, so the the um, I had a question out here by my neighbor the other day. Can I go ahead and apply nitrogen? It was it was two days ago, October. 15th and i told him you know we really don't recommend applying nitrogen too much after this date you know october 15th is sort of the last part last time we really recommend applying any any significant amount of nitrogen here in lexington on on tall fescue um and the, and there's several reasons for that but this is you know core, you know supports that is that the colder and colder you get the less likely you're going to have that the nitrogen is actually going to enter the plant when the f- ground is frozen to go out and apply something uh, nitrogen to frozen soil is is not a wise management decision to say the least. There's very little chance that that's ever going to get into the turf. I would say almost zero chance, and there's a great deal of uh, risk of, of offsite movement. And that's what they concluded in, in this: is that soluble in applied to frozen soil um, did not do anything. Uh, the nitrogen there was no evidence that the nitrogen was even metabolized at all when that nitrogen was applied applied to frozen the soil okay so i i kind of screwed that paper up i mean you know you got to give me a little bit of leeway i mean you're going to do so many of these live i'm going to screw one up i definitely screwed that one up um but it it does support what we've what we've been building on from prior prior work as well from powell study as well is that you know be careful applying heavy amounts of soluble nitrogen laid into the fall if you have an option uh, ammonium sulfate you don't have ammonium nitrate too much nowadays but ammonium sulfate urea soluble nitrogen sources are probably going to be your best option in the fall and later in the fall than the slower release nitrogen sources okay that's basically what the take-home message tomorrow at 10 we're going to have an author come on who has a much more robust study and much clearer study on nitrogen sources and rates. So the environmental conditions change. So in in his study in Western Washington state near Seattle, where it's a little warmer, the critical date for application can be extended a little, little later into November. And maybe I think his dates were in November, whereas on the, the Eastern side of Washington state where it's colder, that critical date for the last application is much earlier. 
And um, but the nitrogen sources that were applied at both of those locations, we were going to find something very similar where the soluble in sources tended to outperform the slow release in sources, even though the slow release in sources did provide some beneficial response in that study tomorrow. So tomorrow, 10 a.m., uh, we're going to have another another author on and we're going to discuss nitrogen rates and nitrogen sources applied to cool season grasses in Washington state. Okay. Um, let me just check the chat real quick before I, I sign off. Um, I just, huh? What? <laughs> what? Lush, I'm trying to, oh, in Discord. Oh, okay. Tagged me in a picture of soil temperatures in Kings. Okay, I'll take a look at it in Discord. Um, Gray Fox, looks like you have a question. Isn't it more likely that a heavy application of MPK in late fall will likely leach out rather than stay in the soil until spring? Well, the key word in your question is likely. Yes, it is more likely. Um, we're going to eventually get into the environmental fate of these, these applications. The author coming on tomorrow has another paper that we won't talk about tomorrow where he, I believe it was N15 labeled, uh, looked at the fate of the nitrogen applied to these grasses under his conditions. So the likelihood of offsite movement is probably fairly low in tur in, in, a, in an established turf stand. It's probably fairly low uh, in, in most cases. Uh, I'm familiar with Florida soils where we have a tremendous amount of sand where we can get some movement. It's but it but it is still there. It's a it's a it's a non-zero number is the likelihood. It it is above zero is the chance of 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 leaching uh, beyond the root zone or runoff or volatilization or some other offsite movement of of the nitrogen that was applied uh, versus waiting and applying it in the spring. Like I said yesterday, you have zero chance of offsite movement when you don't apply it. Okay, you can still get a similar turf response by applying a little bit in the fall and then waiting and applying a little bit more in the spring as opposed to applying everything in the fall, you can still get a very similar turf response by, by splitting it up and you have a great deal of reduction in the risk of offsite movement. Okay. Uh, but when it comes to leaching, that's sort of what I used to do for a lot of work is, is nitrogen leaching some phosphorus leaching. And there, there's, a, there's a lot to it. Okay. I will say this is that actively growing turf grass it is very difficult to get nutrients to move through that actively grown turf grass. I, you know, you can, you can have whatever position you have on it. I, I'll, I can show many, many, many publications we have to, that show actively grown turf grass has such a, a, a drive and capacity to uptake nitrogen or phosphorus and potassium that it, it, you have to do some really crazy things to get the nitrogen to move through that turf grass. Okay, you have to get a lot of high soluble in, you have to get a lot of rainfall, you have to have thin turf, or it has to be not growing. I mean, you have to do some really crazy stuff, but it can happen. So the like is the likelihood greater? Yeah, it's probably greater, but in the grand scheme of things, the chances of offsite movement are probably pretty low. Okay, probably pretty low. Okay, guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign off for today. Tomorrow, 10 a.m., we have a, a past professor coming on to talk about his paper. Look forward to that. Until then, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.